little moments of fellowship with different Christians. And uh, uh, my Aunt Marie, uh, she's uh, turned to Jesus uh, years ago, and uh, she was a part of uh, the Pentecostal church in Whitehorse, and uh, that's where I first came to faith. And, um, and you know, we, we had some good times of fellowship as well. We watched The Chosen together, which was great. And, and The Chosen is, you know, this, this live drama of uh, Jesus and people across the world are watching this. This is the, the biggest crowdfunded uh, TV series ever. And uh, it's, it's awesome. And so it's great also knowing that there's brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world from all different denominations and stuff watching and enjoying uh, these retellings of Jesus. And, um, and uh, on Saturday, we went to the, to the beach and um, we're we're playing some soccer with, with these boys, and me and my son Isaiah, we're playing, and the, the boys find out that they're in the same grade as Isaiah, and they uh, live in Surrey. I was like, oh, cool, and they were like, oh, Isaiah, what, what school do you go to? He says, West Coast Christian School, and they say, oh, we go to Surrey Christian School. <laughs> hey, cool, and we're, so we're like, yeah, you're Christians, yeah, we're Christians, oh, it's good, and so we're encouraging each other in that, I meet their parents, and Hey, that's so great. Like, and they, they're just so happy to meet other brothers and sisters in Christ. Just at the beach in Kelowna. Who knows? Who knew? Um, this summer we're going through a series called Global Historical Faith. Going through the Apostles' Creed. And one preacher described the creed as it was the focused, worshipful expression of people whose lives have been totally transformed by the Bible, and by the risen Jesus Christ. And we're going to be anchoring each part of the creed in a particular passage of Scripture, of the Bible, and we aim to draw out the practical ways in which we live transformed lives as we soak in these eternal truths into our hearts. Last week, we looked at the two, first two lines of the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And this morning, we're digging into the next few lines. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This morning's main passage from the Bible is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And it's laying out the introduction to who the main focus of the whole New Testament is and of the whole Bible is about. The whole focus, who is this Jesus? What is his origin story? What is he all about? And these questions are very important when it comes to uh, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we're we're praising, this, this name above all names that we are singing to? Who is he? And what? how does it all begin on earth here? So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and Connor is going to be reading that for us. Connor, come on up here, please. There you go. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, he was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid and take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She would give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Connor. Let's pray to our Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that he would reveal the truth in his word to us. Father, we thank you that you are a loving Father, and that you loved us so much you sent Jesus to us. And we thank you, Jesus, for your life, your death, your resurrection, for our sake, for the glory of your name. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal your truth to us by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us soft hearts and open minds to consider your word, and that you would speak to us, that you would change, change and transform us into the likeness of Christ's character. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. When we were driving uh, back from Kelowna, uh, I believe it was my daughter Mabel who said, Daddy, you look a lot like Nana, which is my mom. I said, well, that's because I'm Nana's son. She's my mom. And we have the same DNA. We share DNA. And, and Joy said, I have smart DNA. And we're like, you all have wonderful DNA. That's great. And uh, <laughs> you, all have, you all have smart DNA. And, and, and uh, one of the kids thought, I thought that I was the only one with DNA. Like, no, you all have DNA. And you know, everyone takes, all, takes DNA from their parents. We, we, we look a little bit like our parents. Uh, we might have certain ways in which we act like our parents. There's some ways that we act like them and some ways that we don't act like them. Some ways that we look like our mother. Some ways we look like our father. And sometimes we feel like we don't look like either of them. But nevertheless, we have our parents' DNA. And uh, Jesus is very much like us. And yet, in another way, he is unlike us. And the good news is that this is this perfect combination. It's very good news that he is like us, yet unlike us. That's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Jesus is both very much like us, yet unlike us, and this is very good news for us. There's that song, uh, What if God was one of us? Who here has heard that song before? 
Somebody's going to be like Googling that after the service or right now. Don't play it right now. Uh, what if God was one of us? And I always think, well, he did become one of us. Come on. And, and just a stranger on a bus. And it's like Jesus is God who became one of us. And we're going to be looking at that further. Jesus is both very much like us, yet also unlike us. You could consider this tension, this reality in his birth, in his being, and in his battle with sin. First, let's consider his birth. Matthew 1.18 from our passage says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. They were perhaps engaged, as you would say. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. That's in verse 25. And he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus was born of a woman like us. Lift up your hand if you were born of a woman. That should be all of us. Give your neighbor a very strange look if they didn't lift up their hand. (laughs) Jesus was born of a woman like us. Mary was found to be pregnant and later gave birth to Jesus. She's called Virgin Mary. I believe in, he was born of the Virgin Mary um, because she did not have sexual relations with any man before she gave birth to Jesus. Though in verse 25, it would lead us to believe that she did not remain a virgin afterward, as some would believe, because it says that she and Joseph did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. So uh, you could do the math with that and how that works out. Uh, but yes, she, she was the Virgin Mary that she did not have any relations with a man uh, when she had Jesus. She was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. She conceived of the Holy Spirit, unlike us. Any here, anyone here conceived of the Holy Spirit? No one should lift up their hand. This is unique to Jesus. In Luke 135, it gives details that, that through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High would overshadow Mary, and therefore her child would be called the Son of God. So that's his birth. Let's consider his being. Jesus was fully man, like us, fully human, yet fully God, unlike us. As uh, Joy had read the scripture uh, this morning of John chapter 1, how the word was God, word was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were created. Now this, this was speaking of Jesus. Um, and now in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes that that which was from the beginning like Jesus, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim the word of life. The word, that's the same word he's referring to as in the very beginning. In the time of Genesis where all things were created, there was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And he says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word, the eternal Word, the eternal life who became flesh which the disciples, the apostles, have seen, have heard him, have touched, have walked with him, have eaten and drank wine with him. In Hebrews 2.17, it says, And he, Jesus, had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way. To be made like us. Jesus, very God, became very human, fully human in every way, in every way. Jesus is not a divine being who pretends to be human. This is the ancient mistake of docetism. Nor is Jesus a human who becomes divine, the ancient mistake of adoptionism. Jesus is not, as the ancient mistake of the Gnostics believed, that he was just spirit and not actually human. Muslims claim that Jesus was merely a human prophet, the Messiah, born of a virgin, but definitely not God. Jesus is not, as Jehovah's Witnesses believe, the archangel Michael, a created God, but not the eternal God. Jesus is not, as Mormons believe, one of many spirit children, who through obedience became a god. Jesus is not as the Baha'is believe, just one of many manifestations of God, which is also the ancient mistake of modalism. Jesus is fully human. Not a ghost, not a spirit, not an angel, human. Jesus is fully God not some spiritually elevated human, not some enlightened guru, not a man with Christ consciousness, but fully God, the Word, the eternal life, the holy God who became flesh, fully human in every way, the Word who was there at the beginning of time with the Father, the only Son. He's not just an example to follow. He's a sole person in history to put our hope in. The Savior, the Mediator, the Messiah. He is not only one to admire, but he's the central focus of worship for the whole universe. Jesus is not just some mere man who for some reason was elevated to a status of a God. He is the eternal God who also took on humanity and is in heaven being worshipped by all tongues, tribes, and nations. Now let's consider Jesus' battle with sin. Jesus' birth, Jesus' being, and Jesus' battle. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted 
as we are, yet without sin. This is good news. He is able to sympathize with our weakness. And he was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus experienced our weaknesses as a human, like us. Yet Jesus faced temptations also, like us. But Jesus resisted sin perfectly, always, all the time, unlike us. And the reason why Jesus came, there are are many reasons that culminated in the gospel and the cross. But like the prime reason is that we, by our sin and not resisting sin, we have chosen to go our own way, to make ourselves the center of our own world, of our lives. And this sin has brought a chasm. How great the chasm that lie between us and God, the holy God. We were separated from the Father. We were guilty from sin. We were hiding away in our shame. And Jesus came from the Father to us, took on fullness of humanity so that we could be brought back together with the Father. It's amazing that Jesus, fully God, became fully man and sympathizes with us. He knows how you feel. He knows the struggles that you're going through. But he doesn't just say, oh, it's okay. You know, I know it's hard. Just go ahead and sin. But he also resisted sin in his full humanity. And he shows us that there is victory when we are living in communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is both very much like us, yet unlike us. And this is very good news for us. Let's consider how this is very good news for us. Photius, uh, not a common name these days, Photius, uh, recognized in the Eastern Orthodox Church as St. Photius the Great. He was the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople in the mid-800s AD. He wrote that this passage encourages us that we're in good hands. Uh, this passage of Hebrews chapter 4. We're in good hands first because he is great and mighty. This is Jesus. He's great and mighty, being the Son of God and very God himself. And second, because he also, as very man, suffered and endured the testing of afflictions and the weakness of the flesh. We're in good hands because... He's great and mighty. He's very God, and yet he has experienced our struggles. He's very human. Someone deep in the pain of sin, bogged down in the swamp of shame, might say, yeah, I've sinned. I've lived a life of sin, but God doesn't know what it's like. God doesn't know what it's like to live in this pit of darkness and despair, of hopelessness, Or maybe he doesn't know how good sin would feel. It's easy for God to say, oh, be a good person from the comforts of the clouds in heaven. But he doesn't know what it's like to live every day here on earth in this perhaps a living hell, as some some people might feel. But these scriptures we've been reading, they remind us that God came to be with us. God came down from the heavenly city 
he rolled up his sleeves and he got down to his knees and he started to wash his disciples' feet. The God of ages stepped down from glory we were singing to wear my sin and bear my shame. He walked through the wilderness of emptiness. He faced the temptations of the city, the temptations that face little boys, the bodily impulses of teenage years, the desire for self-preservation in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup of wrath pass from me. And yet, in the end, your will, not my will. He went through all these temptations, the temptation to escape from the painful realities of life, which we find many different ways to try to escape. But he endured these things. He suffered through them without sinning. And because of this, God can say to you, I know your struggles. I know what weakness feels like. You're not alone. Whether you're tempted with alcohol or with drugs or with alleviating pain with too many pills or to lust after someone at work or at the beach or online, whether you're tempted to road rage or impatience with family members, whatever it is, God sympathizes with you. God is both eternal and all-knowing, and he knows what you've done. He knows how you feel, but he sympathizes with you. You can tell Jesus about your struggle. When I've wrestled with sin at times, there, you can get to a point where it's like, it's so hard to tell somebody, especially if someone seems really holy. Like, like, I feel like I'm really going to get judged by someone who has it all together. And how much more might you feel like that with the holy God? How could I tell him? But this holy God came into the dirt and walked with us and experienced the temptations and the weakness that we face. Yet without sin, but he sympathizes with us. You can tell Jesus about what you're going through. Don't keep it to yourself. It's the best thing to just share with him. Be honest with him. As David was with, with Jesus in the Psalms, he's just praying out. He's like, this is who I am. This is where, where I'm at right now, God. It, it's not all pretty. You know, Bathsheba, she was looking pretty good, and now her husband's dead somehow. Search me and know me if there's anything that's wrong in my heart. Right? Jesus knows about your struggle. And the following verse from Hebrews 14 talks about Jesus being a sympathetic high priest who understands our weaknesses. It then says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With confidence, draw near. Throne of grace, receiving mercy. Find grace and help in time of need. In that time of the struggle, the time of, God, I could really use your help right now. 
really tempted to steal this thing or tempted to gluttony or tempted to look at that thing that I shouldn't be looking at, tempted with all these things, God, help. I can boldly, confidently approach the throne of grace. How does this help us in time of need? Matthew 1.22 says that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The people looking upon Jesus would say, God is with us. God is with you. He's with you and I. This is very good news because Jesus fully God who became fully man to be with us, to show that God, the holy God, is for us, for you, in your struggle. Verse 21, he says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel instructed Joseph to name his son a common name among Jews in the first century of Judea and Galilee. It was, it was Yeshua or Joshua. The name Jesus is our Latin and English translation. Yeshua, anglicized as Joshua, means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, God of Moses. The one who saved his people through you know, the, the Red Sea. God saves. Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name means. And this is very good news because God knows what you're going through. He cares so much that the Father sent the Son, Jesus, fully God, to become fully human, to save you from your sins. Galatians 4, 4 4-5 says, "When, When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent Jesus to redeem us, that we might receive adoption into the God's family. Gaius Marius Victorinus of Tunisia, Africa, in the mid at early to mid 300s AD. He said that Christ came not merely to show them the way of life or to stir them up toward eternity with harsh commands, but to redeem them. Jesus didn't come merely as an example or someone to inspire us to be holy or to try and chastise us with these commands, and you better stay in line. But he came to redeem us, to bring us back, to purchase us, to be back with the Father. This is very good news. Jesus, fully God, became fully man, fully human, to redeem us from our sins, to adopt us into his family. St. Augustine of Hippo was a North African theologian of the late 300s AD who prescribed that the Apostles' Creed should be recited several times a day. This is comparable to how the Jewish people would cite the the Shema, 
from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9, in the course of their daily business. He's, he's saying, we often forget about the realities of the gospel. So recite the Apostles' Creed several times a day. And he wasn't saying it as, as this uh, like an incantation that will just protect you with this magical spiritual force field. But rehearse the truth, this eternal truth of Jesus. This is what he wrote. The symbol of the creed of the holy mystery that you have all received together and that today you have recited one by one are the words on which the faith of the church is firmly built above the stable foundation that is Christ the Lord. You have received it and recited it, but in your minds and hearts you must keep it ever present. You must repeat it in your beds, recall it in the public squares, and not forget it during meals. Even when your body is asleep, you must watch over it with your hearts. This is, this is like the, the, the Jewish practice of meditating on God's word, muttering it, repeating the truth as we go along the way. As you're with your kids, as you lay down, as you rise, have God's truth of the gospel ever on your hearts. This is, this is how we live in victory over sin. Not by the, just the mere repetition of it as, as it's like, okay, you've sinned, do five Hail Marys and five Apostles' Creeds. It's not what we're saying. Saying to find victory over sin, you need Jesus. Remember who he is and what he did, what he accomplished on the cross for your sins. How God, fully God, became fully human for you to redeem you, to save you, to purchase you, to bring you back into the family. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Ephraim the Syrian, revered as one of the most notable hymnographers, like, you know, worship songwriters, kind of like Hillsong or something, of, of of the mid-300s A.D., he gave these words for our struggles with sin. Let us obtain with mercy, for instance, through prayers, so that he may be with us in the hour of our fight with the devil. Let's obtain this mercy, as Hebrews would say, through prayers, so that he may be with us in the hour of our fight with the devil. When you're fighting with the devil or you're fighting dark thoughts or you're wrestling with your fleshly desires, obtain this mercy through prayer so that Jesus, Emmanuel, fully God, fully man, would help you in your time of need. That you're not just trying to lean on yourself and say, I, I just got to work up enough self-discipline. I need Christ. I need Jesus to help me in my time of struggle. Not like I got to pull it all together. I just need to, to hold on to Jesus. So look to him, Jesus. He understands our experience. 
and can pull us out of it. He faced temptation and yet was victorious over it. And he gives us victory by his Holy Spirit. He doesn't just leave us as orphans. He gives us the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We are children of God, given the spirit of victory over sin. He didn't come as a life coach or an inspirational teacher, but as one who would take the punishment for the world's sins upon himself. The world's sins, your sins, my sins, upon himself on the cross. That we could draw near with confidence, boldly approaching the throne of grace, find mercy, to find grace and help in time of need. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's with you. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. Would you turn your hearts and your minds to Jesus with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. That though very God, you took on humanity. You graciously came to earth and lived a lifetime in our shoes. You experienced our struggles. You faced the temptations. And yet you resisted sin. We thank you that you are both compassionate. You sympathize with us in our struggles and our weaknesses. And you're able to pull us out. Jesus, you know our struggles. These things, they come to mind, we just give them up to you right now, Lord. Lord, we confess that we have sinned, both in action and in thought, by things that we've done and things that we've left undone. And there's no hope for us apart from you. We thank you that you are willing to save us. That's why you went to the cross. Well, Jesus, we, we confess that you are our hope, our living hope. You died for our sins and you rose again on the third day, ascended to the Father victorious. We just thank you, Lord, that you have compassion with us in our sin. Thank you, Lord, for your victory. Holy Spirit, would you empower us this week, today, tomorrow? Empower us with your strength, with your victory. Keep our minds on you. Not to try and do this on our own strength, but to cling to you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.